Well, good morning. Threw everyone a curveball this week uh, by saying that we would uh, change up our time. And uh, I hope that there's someone out there paying attention this morning to the fact that we changed our time. Unfortunately, I uh, agreed to, to do some speaking this morning and ended up having to be at two places at the same moment. So uh, makes it a little more challenging as a, as a speaker. But it's great to see you this morning. I hope you have uh, a cup of coffee readily available. Uh, grab your Bible and uh, let's get started uh, with a word of prayer. Lord, I am just so grateful to, to be able to use these kinds of tools to get your word out, to tell people about Jesus, what he means to me, what he means to the world, what he could mean to them. Thank you for this uh, series of sojourners that tell us about some people that went before us that made an unbelievable impact for you. What an example to follow. Thanks, Lord, for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Well, uh, we are on our sixth sojourner this morning. Remember, a sojourner is someone, uh, we're taking a, a look at their biography because they were a man or a woman who made a significant impact uh, on the world for, for the Lord. The passage that we jumped out of was Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about that the world was not worthy of them. And uh, one of the authors that I've used for some information on this study, he referred to a bunch of these uh, men and women as faithful, flawed, and fruitful. And uh, that's certainly the case of, of our guy this morning. To introduce uh, the topic, though, I want to uh, a guy by the name of Francis Chan. Many of you might know him as a Southern California and then went to Northern California a pastor a well-known author, Christian writer, uh, he, he announced about a year and a half ago that he and his family were going to stop the church ministries that he's involved in in Northern California, and they were going to move overseas, uh, do international um, missions. Um, uh, he, he came to that decision after a visit to Myanmar with his family, and uh, when he was there, he was traveling, as he put it, hut to hut with a translator, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on his way home in the plane, he and his wife had a conversation. And uh, here's what he said. He said, these people that we've just been visiting with, these people have never heard of him um, and his eagerness um, and, and, and their eagerness what, and their eagerness to listen was, uh, was unbelievable seeing people getting baptized. It was like, wow, he said. And what we do on a normal day, what, what do we do on a normal day that even compares to this? He, he mentioned that he's spent much of his life fishing in the same pond. And, and now there's thousands of other fishermen in that same pond. And he said, our, lang, our lines are getting tangled up and everybody's fighting over stupid things. So Francis Chan uh, eventually made the decision to move. They settled in Singapore. And uh, as I understand it, just a few weeks ago, uh, their visa was revoked. And so they're back in the States waiting for an opportunity to, to return. The thing is the attitude that uh, Francis Chan uh, had after he had gone somewhere 
where there's not much gospel light really made me think of our, our sojourner for this week. Um, in, a, in a similar way, Hudson Taylor came to the conclusion to leave England and go to China. He had a, had a revelation, if you will. Let me, let me tell you what he said. He said, can all the Christians of England sit still with folded arms while these multitudes in China, they're perishing for a lack of knowledge, for a, for a, for a lack of knowledge which all of England possesses. So what does the master teach us? Is it not that if there is one sheep out of a hundred that's lost, we're to leave the 99 and go find that one? And the answer to that was yes for Francis Chan and yes for James Hudson Taylor. Now Taylor was born in May of 1832 in Barnsley, England to a chemist and his wife, James and Amelia. Although he was named officially James, no one ever called him anything but Hudson. His parents were a Methodist couple uh, who were totally taken by the Far East. Uh, as a matter of fact, their prayer prior to their even getting pregnant with their son was that God would grant them a boy and that he would go to work for the gospel in China. But as a young man, not so different than several, several of our other uh, sojourners, he, uh, he was not clear about either his faith or his calling. As uh, one biographer put it, uh, he had teenage restlessness um, and, and even outright rebellion in his life, particularly against a pretty impatient father. So his mother and his sister took a special interest in praying for, for Hudson Taylor. And the story about his mother's prayer life, apparently when he was about 17 years old, she sequestered herself away in a, in a friend's house, and she began to pray earnestly uh, for her son. She felt that um, he, he was not clear on his salvation, and uh, she was not going to leave that room until she had some assurance from the Lord that indeed Hudson was going to bow his knee and become a believer in Jesus Christ. On that same afternoon, unbeknownst to her, miles away, Hudson was uh, putzing around in his father's library and he was waiting for his dad. He saw a gospel track on the table. He wasn't interested in the, the theology part, but there was a story at the beginning of the track and so he intended to read the story and then put it down and move on. But as it were, uh, in God's timing and in God's way, the message of that track gripped his soul. And as he uh, began to read it, the things of God became clearer and clearer. And as he says in his writings, he put his full faith and trust in his Savior that afternoon. Now, um, Charles Spurgeon and uh, Hudson Taylor were good friends. Interesting that they were of a similar time frame in their life, and, and uh, they, were, they were good buddies. Spurgeon tells the story about Hudson's salvation, and uh, he goes on and gives us a few more. Apparently, a few uh, days later, Hudson told his mom that he had something uh, that he wanted to talk to her, some, some good news. 
And she replied very quickly, oh, oh, I, I, you have given yourself to God. And Hudson with great, you know, incredulity says, incredulity, is that a word? Incredulously said, well, how, how, how do you know? And she smiled and said, God told me, he answered my prayer. A few months later, uh, continuing on with his focus on spiritual ministry, Hudson had a, had a personal time of, of great uh, intensity in prayer. Prophets will tell you that he stretched himself out and uh, laid before the Lord and began to call out, Lord, what would you have me to do? And, he's, and he talks about how his energy came and, and his calling became clear. He described it uh, as a moment with unspeakable awe and unspeakable joy. Knowing what God wants you to do in life is an, is an amazing moment. At any rate, he, um, he joined uh, right away the uh, Wesleyan uh, Methodist Church and uh, after a bit was baptized by the Plymouth Brethren, eventually was ordained by the Baptists and uh, interestingly, thereafter had no formal church affiliation of any kind. Um, he was not schooled. I'm getting that sun right smack in the middle of my face, and I'm not sure what to do about it. But let's see if that works a little bit better. Anyway, he wasn't um, trained theologically or even with a, a solid uh, education. So he apprenticed himself to a, a doctor, uh, Robert Hardy, and for four years, he studied with Robert. Apparently, his medical skills were amazing. And once he got to China, they proved to be very, very helpful. At one point in his ministry, he was seeing more than 200 patients in a single day. It was a great uh, entree to his spiritual ministry to be able to care for people physically. Later on, uh, towards uh, the latter part of his ministry in China, he was actually known a very renowned a cataract surgeon. He had become so good at it. Um, he took his marching orders theologically and from a mission standpoint directly from the Lord. In fact, he had a, a saying, a one that shows up a lot in Christian ministries even today. He believed that there were three stages for any, any great work of God. He said, first, it's impossible. And we've all probably been there. And secondly, then it's difficult. Yeah, definitely been there. And his third stage, done. Uh, impossible, difficult, done. That was the pattern to Hudson Taylor's uh, great work in China. Now, he joined the something called the Chinese Evangelical Society, and uh, in, that, in that pursuit with that particular group, uh, he, uh, he was a young man and wasn't very knowledgeable about what God was or was not doing. Um, but he was on an adventure. He was willing it was the Lord wanted to go. And as a 21-year-old young lad, he jumped on a, uh, a little... Uh, three-masted kind of clipper ship called the Dumfries, and off he went to China. It took him about six months. Uh, and uh, one, one biographer noted that he spent an awful lot of time on, on the ocean. 
course of his ministry in China, he took probably 10 trips from Great Britain to China. And they're estimating that he spent years out on the oceans. Remember, there, there were no international airports. You didn't decide to go somewhere and jump on an airplane. You were um, at, the, at the beck and call of whatever mode of transportation was available. And of course, in those days and in, in, in those times, it was on a ship. Now, Hudson Taylor was not happy when he arrived at China and kind of surveyed the, the climate for missionaries. He, he arrived in Shanghai. It was just after the first opium war, and the Chinese had only opened five port cities to foreigners, and Shanghai was one of them. When he got there, he was very disappointed with the life of the missionaries, the kind of life that they were leading. Uh, he thought they were living a life of luxury, and most of them were spending way too much time with the English businessmen or the diplomats uh, and serving as a translator. So Hudson Taylor made a decision right then and there, and his decision was to learn the language, the Chinese language, as quickly as possible, and then focus his attention on uh, extended evangelistic journeys, but into the inner part of China. Um, at that time, there were 18 provinces in, in China, and uh, only seven of them had any missionaries serving at all, and they were all on the, on the coastal area. So, so Hudson Taylor carved out for himself those 11 provinces on the interior of China where God's word was, was not prevalent at all, and no missionaries were serving. A, a pause here for a personal word. When I first got saved, I was pretty convinced that God was going to call me to serve uh, as, a, as a missionary in China. And as I went through Bible college, that was my assumption, that's where I'd end up. Um, for whatever reason, uh, that's not the direction my life took. But somewhere along the line, I had a passionate interest in Mongolia. And uh, my dad used to tease about when we were his kids and getting on his nerves, he was going to send us to outer Mongolia, where my interest came. But at any rate, I definitely had a desire uh, to see the gospel uh, taken to Mongolia. And uh, twice um, in my life, I've had an opportunity to, to travel to Mongolia. I had to go through China to get there, some great and crazy stories. Um, and... Uh, for the purpose of seeing if there could be an established a Christian school that could support uh, missionaries and expatriates that were serving in the capital city of Ulaanbaatar. It, it didn't work out, but I have a passion for, for inner uh, China or Mongolia and, the, and those areas that Hudson Taylor had an interest in. It's also true about him, though, that he had a radical viewpoint of how missionaries should serve, specifically he decided to dress like the Chinese. He took off his Western coats and hats and ties and took on a, a look as if he were Chinese, so much so that he grew a pigtail. Uh, and so his hair looked like all of the other Chinese men. You can imagine uh, that the rest of the missionaries didn't appreciate that. But in his mind, it was a way to, to, um, to show respect for the culture to show respect for the people that he was talking to. And his hope was that if he looked like them, some of the barriers to the, to the message would come down 
and he would have a, a greater opportunity to share with them uh, the claims of Jesus Christ. He was um, at odds, though, with that organization that he first sailed under, the Chinese Evangelical Society. One of the reasons was they were always in financial difficulty. And uh, if they found themselves short and couldn't pay their missionaries that month, they would borrow money. And, and Hudson Taylor believed that God, God would supply whatever he asked you to do and that he, would tr he could trust him uh, to, to uh, support whatever focus had provided for you. He was convinced, and this is a very famous quote from Hudson Taylor, that God's work done God's way will never lack provision. So it didn't take him very long to, um, to part company with the Chinese Evangelical Society. And so he uh, launched out pretty much on his own. Being on his own for at least those first five years, he was terribly lonely. Um, biographers tell us that he met and almost immediately fell in love with a 20-year-old. Her name was Maria, Maria Dyer. She was the daughter of some very experienced missionaries from that area. And uh, they married not too long after they met. They, uh, they had eight children. It was by all accounts a very happy marriage. They had a lot in common. Their, their desire to do ministry, their focus on how to do ministry was very similar. They had eight children, two of which died in childbirth, uh, two of which died as children, and the remaining four grew up and served as missionaries in their parents' agency. An amazing testimony. Well, in 1861, Hudson uh, contracted uh, what we think is hepatitis, and he had to go back to England. He experienced during that time great uh, spiritual and physical discouragement, lots of ailments, even a bona fide depression. And part of it was his heavy burden for China. And it was very personal for him, almost as if um, he thought it all weighed on him, that the Chinese people were not going to come to Christ unless he did the work. He was a passionate servant of God, very serious about his job, but he came to understand that it wasn't all about him. There was a decisive moment when he was on a walk along a beach in England and uh, kind of a spiritual awakening, if you will. Let me read to you what he says about it. He says, there the Lord conquered my unbelief and I surrendered myself for this service. I told all the responsibility of all the issues has to rest with him. That is his servant. It was mine just to obey and to follow him. And that was the, the mantra of the mission work that Hudson Taylor did. He recognized it was God's work to direct. Hudson merely needed to follow. And he had, he had some insights into how to do that. One of them I really like is, he says, when I cannot read, when I cannot think, and when I cannot even pray, I can trust. I've been there a time or two. He went on to say that God uses men and women who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. Well, as you might imagine, he began to, to uh, formulate some thoughts and ideas about a, a possible new mission agency. 
and uh, he was beginning to pray in some specific ways, one of which was to pray for the missionaries themselves. He prayed for 24 missionaries to go with him into the inner part of China. Now, why is that so astonishing? Well, if, if God had provided 24, that would have been a 25% increase in all the missionaries that were serving in China. It was an audacious goal. His idea was that two of them would go into each of the 11 inner provinces of China and two would go to Mongolia. That vision was, was the beginning of an organization known as the China Inland Mission. And God blessed that, blessed it significantly. By, by 1876, CIM had 52 missionaries in China, an astonishing number working uh, to get the gospel in the inner parts of China. Now, the China Inland Mission had six pretty distinct characteristics about it that made it different than the mission agencies of their day. One was that all their missionaries um, would, would be drawn from any denomination. They would sign a simple doctrinal uh, statement, and it didn't matter which church they came from. That was very unusual for their day. They would have no guaranteed salary. Most missionaries had a guaranteed salary. They would live by faith. There would be no appeals, much like uh, George Mueller that we heard about a few weeks ago. They would trust the Lord to supply all of their need. The work was going to be directed by him, uh, not by a committee out of England. That didn't go over very well. They would press on into the interior. Again, not uh, the normal pattern of missions for that day. And, of course, that they would be wearing Chinese clothing and worshiping in Chinese-style buildings. Now, it's said that Hudson Taylor was very demanding of himself. His rather, we'll call it a dictatorial approach to leadership was not always appreciated. The councils that he did set up for CIM in England saw him as a bit autocratic, as they said. But here was Hudson's response. He said, China is not to be won for Christ by quiet, easy-loving men and women. The, the stamp of men and women we need are people who will put Jesus, China, and souls first, foremost in everything, at every time, even must be secondary. He also had, and this is very unique for, for uh, the day, a radical policy of sending single women into ministry, into the interior. In fact, in the first 20 years of CIM's ministry, there were 56 women that were serving as the wives of missionaries there, but 95 single women serving alone in the interior. He sought such great value in having women as part of the mission. He once wrote um, a married candidate who was planning on bringing He said this, unless you intend your wife to be a true missionary and not merely a wife or a housekeeper or a friend, do not join us. <laughs> it's funny too, at the time, but there was a, a bit of a controversy over his, his, his uh, commitment to and sometimes close relationship with the, the single women in the ministry. Apparently, some began to question uh, a pattern. He and his wife, every night, kissed those ladies on their foreheads 
as they said goodnight in the mission, and that became a big deal. Hudson Taylor, though, knew some personal tragedy of cholera when the kids were not even 10 years old. But he did remarry a woman by the name of Jeannie, Jeannie Falding. They had a son and a daughter uh, in their marriage, and that marriage lasted 33 years. Jeannie died a year, just a year before Hudson did. Hudson Taylor served China for 51 years. I've been at Stony Brook 38 years, and I think that's a long time. Can you imagine? But what, what you need to think about is what were the conditions like while he served there? In the early 1800s, evangelism of any kind in China was a capital offense. But between 1930 and 1949, excuse me, 1830 and 1949, about 120 years, during that 120-year period of time, China became the largest Protestant mission field in the world. And at its height, had over 8,000 missionaries serving there. Um, interestingly, uh, in the early uh, 1950s, communism and so forth, uh, caused the missionaries to all be expelled from China. And the Christians had to go underground. We've heard lots of stories about their house churches. When they went underground and started worshiping quietly in private homes and with small groups, China's numbers of believers exploded, so much so that by 1980, it's estimated that there were between five and seven million believers in China. Now, in uh, 2015, it was the 105th anniversary of the mission that Hudson founded. And at that point, there was some estimates of maybe 200,000 house churches and maybe 150 million believers in China. To a very large extent, that truth is due to the fact that Hudson Taylor went and inspired others to, to forsake that easy life and, and choose instead to come and serve Christ in the interior parts of China. The ministry of China Inland Mission continues even to today. They have a new name. The name is the Missions Fellowship, OMF, and that organization currently has about 1,600 missionaries laboring for Christ. What a guy. Well, what can we learn from him? What is there in his story for you and I? The first thing that jumped out to me, and it's jumped out in several of the sojourners, is just the fact that God wants to use anyone who will make themselves available. Hudson Taylor was not well-schooled. He was not well-trained. He was not a brilliant man. He did not have the training that would make him uh, an amazing preacher or teacher. You see, God is not looking for abilities. God is looking for availability. You know, when, when uh, we ask people, uh, what do they do or what are they involved in or what's the pattern of their life? Very often in our culture, I'll hear something like, well, I'm just, a, I'm just a, a nurse or I'm just a housewife or I'm just a businessman trying to get by. You know that I'm just a drives me crazy. I want you to think about the passage in Isaiah 6. And if you're not familiar with it, 
when we're finished with here today, go look it up. Isaiah got a chance to see the Lord high and lifted up in his throne room. And, and there was a, a question that went out. The question was, who will go for me? And Isaiah stepped to the plate, as we would say, and he shouted out, here am I, send me. God is looking for men and women who will simply declare, here I am, please use me. Listen, while you're sitting there listening to me today or however you listen, I want you to think about whatever talents or experiences, whatever your education, your resources, financial or otherwise, your network of people, or all of the abilities that God has given you, both spiritual gifts and natural talents. I, I want you to think about all those that God has allowed you to, to amass in your life to this point. And then I want you to think about the truth that he wants to use them. Think a little bit about this uneducated and stubborn Englishman who almost single-handedly opened China for the gospel. And, and ask yourself, where's your mission field? Who, who needs you and your gifts? Where are you supposed to be investing your spiritual and natural gifts? for the glory of God. And once you answer that question, then go do it. There's a second thing I think that we don't want to miss out of this incredible faith that uh, Hudson Taylor exhibited. The truth is, much like George Mueller, Taylor boxed himself in so that he had to live by faith. He learned to trust the Lord in, in a very real and practical way. He didn't himself to rely on any other resource except God. He was so confident that God would care for him and, and care for his ministry. He lived a, a life where faith was at the center of, of his mind and his heart. There, there's a moment uh, in his ministry and a quote that comes from it that is my absolute favorite about Hudson Taylor. Apparently, he was having some sort of a staff meeting, and he was asking uh, what resources were available for the, for the mission tasks that laid at hand. And uh, after a moment of review, the staff told him that all they had was 25 cents. 25 cents. And here was his reply. And do not miss the focus of his confidence. He said, well, hmm, guess that's what we have then. 25 cents and all the promises of God. 25 cents and all the promises of God. He was so familiar with that passage in Matthew 5, where it says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. The pagans run after these things your heavenly Father knows you need them, but instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The Christian author Philip Yancey once said that faith is believing in advance something that you will notice or see, something that will seem only logical in reverse 
Let me say that again. Faith is believing in advance something that will seem logical only in reverse. So what do you need to do? Or what do you need to be? Or what process do you need to jump into? What do you need to believe in advance? The salvation of your family? The salvation of neighbors or those at work? What is God calling you to believe in? Something uh, about your marriage? Perhaps a health issue? Some financial need? If faith is believing in advance something that will only seem logical in reverse, let's take the time now to believe it. Let's not on Taylor's amazing statement of truth. Because still today, today, in my life and in yours, regardless of what's in our bank account or what's in our pantry, you and I can exceptionally, confidently state we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. So let's go live like that. Well, listen, thanks for coming. It would have been no fun without you today. If you're enjoying these, uh, these Surgeoner messages uh, on Facebook Live, you might consider sharing the post on your own page, and I'd appreciate that. And in the meantime, God bless you. Have a great day.